by the time you guys are listening and watching this, it will be Sunday. So I want to say Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed your time with your family and ate some good food, got all the presents you wanted, and were overall just safe and uh, and happy. So speaking of Christmas films, we're going to talk about my top five uh, favorite Christmas films later in this uh, in today's episode, but we're going to kickstart things off with talking about Tick Tick Boom, which is going to be probably the title of uh, this podcast when I'm when I'm figuring things out afterwards. And uh, this is a great film, definitely one of my favorite Andrew Garfield performances. And it's it's a musical about the about a real it's it's a real life story about a guy named Jonathan Larson, and he wrote one of Broadway's most famous plays called Rent, and obviously Tick Tick Boom being the title of uh, of the film, and it's essentially just showing you know showing his story, showing his his road to prosperity, the struggles he goes through, uh, and it's incredibly inspiring, and uh, and we're gonna get into why. Uh, but before watching this film, I wasn't really a big fan of musicals. It wasn't wasn't always my cup of tea. I can appreciate them, you know, for what they are, obviously, but it never really was my go-to. But this film has really made me appreciate that genre. And I'm definitely going to probably start watching some more musical films. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've had tons of people reach out to me and, and recommend La La Land. I've watched the first 10 minutes of La La Land, or more, probably I'd say more of like half, the first half hour. And for me personally, I couldn't really get into it, but I think now my perspective has changed on musicals. So I definitely think I'm going to revisit La La Land at some point, probably tonight, to be honest with you, after I'm done recording this podcast here. But yeah, um, the music in this film was great. You know, I find myself listening to the soundtrack when I'm driving. If I had to pick two songs, my two go-tos out of the soundtrack, it would probably be 30, 90, 30 slash 90 rather, and uh, Johnny Can't Decide. Those are my two favorites uh, out, of, out of the soundtrack. And the reason why Jonathan's story is incredibly inspiring is because through the film, uh, he discusses how essentially the film is depicting him and his journey as he's writing uh, one of his plays called Superbia. It unfortunately didn't end up turning out in, in becoming as successful as he hoped, uh, hoped for it to be, but it definitely was a learning experience and a stepping stone to him eventually writing Rent and Tick, Tick, Boom. But he spent eight years writing Superbia, you know, constantly rewriting it, changing it to, you know, to inevitably where he wanted it to be. And don't get me wrong, the audience, the audience enjoyed it. And, you know, even his agent in the film said people, people really liked it, but they want to see what you're going to do next. So obviously that means like, you know, it's, it's, it didn't pan out, unfortunately. And, you know, when, when you spend eight years working on anything and it, and it doesn't, turn out to what you hoped it would, that could be extremely discouraging. And a lot of people would probably just quit at that point or move on to something else. And he was very close, but he he kept going. And his agent told him afterwards, she was like, look, you know, I, I've, I've been in this industry a long time. You got to just keep writing. You got to keep on writing and keep throwing stuff at the wall until finally something sticks. It's it, it's truly like that. That's the honest truth, I guess. For you know, for 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 anyone trying to pursue writing, and really, you could say that about a lot of 
industries. I mean, especially what I'm trying to get into, I'm trying to be an actor and it's, I, I know what's going to be difficult and you know, anything worth doing is at the end of the day. Um, but yeah. And he could have quit. He could have said, okay, you know what? I spent eight years doing this. Clearly it's not in the cards for me, but he was confident in himself and he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back to the drawing board and I'm just going to write the next one. And that's what he did. And it obviously ended up working out for him. Eventually he wrote rent and, uh, and tick, tick, boom. But, uh, yeah, I don't actually know if he finished tick, tick, boom, because unfortunately he passed away at 35 and, uh, and actually the, how he passed away was incredibly tragic. He passed away the morning of rent's debut on Broadway. Just, just take that in for a sec. A play that this guy worked so hard on. Now, obviously, he knew it was going to Broadway. So, I mean, that in and of itself is an accomplishment. I mean, how many human beings on the face of this earth can really say they were on Broadway, right? So, obviously, that is an accomplishment. But he didn't get the chance to see it blossom and, and see it, you know, uh, establish itself. So, that obviously is very unfortunate. And obviously so young too, you know, 35, not even, not even middle age at that point yet. And yeah, just overall his, his story is incredibly inspiring because it just, it's all about being disciplined, trusting your intuition, because you're going to have a lot of people tell you that, you know, you're not capable of doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're not good at it and, you know. I've even had people tell me that, you know, podcasting isn't a viable option as an occupation or acting is incredibly, you know, tough and, you know, only, you know, X number of people have made it. I've heard it all before and I'm sure anybody else that's pursuing anything has, has probably heard from other people how, you know, how difficult things could be. And most of the time that people saying those kind of things are usually people that are close to you and people that love you. So they're all, you know, most of them are saying it with the best intentions. So you always kind of have to remind yourself that because, you know, they just want what's best for you, right? But you have to be able to remind yourself that like, yes, I can do this. I'm capable of doing it. And if I trust myself, I know that I can get it done. And that's pretty much what you have to, what you have to constantly remind yourself because you at the end of the day are the only person that's going to be able to make significant change in your life or you can't really rely on people to change your circumstance and, you know, change your outcome. So, but anyways, I'm getting on a rant here. Uh, overall, I love Tick, Tick, Boom. Highly suggest you guys check it out. And I think right now we're going to move on to, I'm going to talk about, excuse me, I'm going to talk about Hawkeye and I'm going to sort of discuss, I'm going to discuss the season finale because it was yesterday and I'm going to give my overall review and score of the, of the show. So episode six came out yesterday and I watched it and honestly, overall, it was just, oh, by the way, before we get into this spoilers, obviously, I mean, the show has been out for over 24 hours. So if you haven't watched it at this point, that's on you. But uh, anyways, besides that, um, it was kind of underwhelming, the season finale, to be quite frank with you. And I would probably just say it was okay. Like it wasn't bad. But it wasn't really great at the same time. If I'm comparing it to the season finales of of the other Disney Plus shows, hmm. Overall, I think out of all the Disney Plus shows, my two favorite uh, finales were 
Loki's and Falcon and the Winter Soldiers. I thought theirs was incredible, um, especially especially Loki's when they introduced uh, Jonathan Majors as, uh, as Kang, which is a nice little introduction to his character because we're going to see him as the main antagonist in, uh, in, in, not Loki, well, we actually will in Loki season two, but in Ant-Man Quantumania, he's going to be the main uh, antagonist. Uh, but overall, it was, like I said, kind of underwhelming. Um, it wasn't all bad. I mean, this wasn't bad, but it wasn't all underwhelming. There was, you know, it had its moments. I really enjoyed the, you know, the inevitable interaction that we knew that we knew was coming between Clint Barton and Yelena Belova. Uh, I like that. You know, I liked how Clint is obviously telling the truth that Nat sacrificed herself to save the world. And Yelena, you could tell that she she just can't accept that. She almost wants... She almost wants Hawkeye to be the one that murdered her sister so she has an excuse to sort of unleash her rage. She almost can't accept the fact that Hawkeye didn't kill Natasha. In in reality, Natasha actually sacrificed herself for the greater good of humanity. So that was nice to see. And I'm really starting to enjoy and like that character. I liked her in Black Widow and I'm really, I'm really curious to see where she's going to go next. Um, I think Tom Holland said that he would love to sort of team up with her. I think that'd be an interesting, uh, I think that'd be an interesting pair, interesting pairing for a film. But if I could see her in another project, which she obviously will return, we all know that it's kind of tough. Um, aside from like a cameo, the next time I think we'll see her in a significant role. Hmm. I'd probably say if I had to, take a guess I could be completely wrong uh I don't know that's tough I didn't I didn't even think about this before the episode I'm kind of just spitballing this one um I would probably say we'll see her in something to do I mean an obvious answer could be like something to do with Hawkeye but if, if I'm pointing to like another hero I would probably say the Captain America 4 film with uh, with Anthony Mackie. I think that's probably one we'll see her again. Could be wrong. That remains to be seen. Um, and then Kingpin. You know, that was that was one of the biggest mysteries of the show. Who was the uncle character? I think most people probably thought it was Kingpin. But we saw him teased in episode 5. And now we've seen him. And... I mean, I'm going to be honest, I, ha- like, I haven't watched the Daredevil show on Netflix. I did mention to you guys last episode that I started it, but I haven't even really had you know had time to, to continue watching. I've just been so busy with the holidays and stuff. So I haven't, I haven't really seen Kingpin in that show. So I don't, I'm not sure if this version that we're seeing in Hawkeye is the same in terms of like how, he's, how he acts or if it's different. But either way, I didn't really think he was very interesting, you know, to be, to be honest with you. Um, He's obviously strong, like he's fucking picking people up and whipping them around and shit. Uh, but overall, I didn't really think he was very interesting, to be quite honest with you. Um, and a lot of people are wondering, is he dead? I personally don't believe he's dead. Now, I know I know that the the show is trying to make you believe that Echo shot him, because obviously she was pointing the gun. But then the camera pans up. And then you hear the gunshot, but you don't know if he's dead, right? It kind of leaves it up for interpretation. Uh, and because of that, I, I do think we'll see uh, Kingpin 
Vincent D'Onofrio return as Kingpin, especially with... Well, actually, we'll get into that later. I was about to give a spy, Spider-Man. Actually, I mean, look, I'm going to talk about Spider-Man spoilers later. I might as well say it now. We see uh, Matt Murdock in Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. So, uh, I think the next time we'll see Kingpin will probably be in whatever project that you know Daredevil ends up getting. I, I do hope he gets his own his own movie because I'm not a... I don't know too much about Daredevil, and like I said, I just started watching the show, but just that cutscene alone, I don't know why, it just got me so hyped. It just got me so excited to see that character return. I thought that little short clip of Matt Murdock coming in saying like, you know, happy, you know, I know your affiliation with Stark Industries, you, know, you, you better lawyer the fuck up, bro. <laughs> like that was, I don't know why, that was so cool. And with him obviously in the MCU, we know one of the, one of his biggest villains in his Netflix show was Kingpin. Um, you know, I, I watched little videos here and there, just sort of, you know, breaking down the show. So I know, I know a, a fair bit, but I haven't obviously watched it in its entirety. Um, you know, what else here? Uh, in in the character of Jack, which was Kate Bishop's mom's fiance in the show, I feel like he was kind of underused a little bit. Like I really, I was really starting to come around to him by like episode four when we see him get arrested, and he was like. I'll have this figured out in no time. Don't worry about me. I don't know. I, I was really starting to, you know, get behind his character. And the show kind of misleads you a little bit. They make you think that he's a bad guy. But inevitably, you realize that it's really the bad guy in the show, aside from uh, Kingpin, obviously, is Kate Bishop's mom. You know, she she ordered she ordered the hit on the, uh, on the old guy that died in the first episode. Or the second. The first or the second episode. Whoever that old dude was who fucking was murdered in his... Uh, whatever condo uh, that was that was uh, uh, Kate Bishop's mom was responsible for that so really she was kind of like the evil one in the show um, now the post credit scene oh god oh god I don't even know I mean first and foremost I think this was probably the worst post credit scene that I've seen in a, in a Marvel film and I think that's that could just be my fault because I've been conditioned now to expect some sort of tease for some sort of future property with these Marvel movies and shows. And this, all this post credit scene was, was just the Rogers musical in its entirety. We saw the Rogers musical in the first episode, but we just saw like a, like a short snippet of it before Clint Barton walked out of the theater. But all this post credit scene was, was literally just the Rogers musical. Like, I watched the whole thing and I was like, okay, they're going to tease something. They're going to say something, you know, to show some future Marvel property. But they didn't. It was literally just the musical. And I was so disappointed. I mean, the musical wasn't bad. Like, I, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Uh, but for a post-credit scene, I mean, if they're going to do that, they should have also had an end credit scene, which they didn't. It was literally just the musical. So... For those of you who haven't seen uh, the season finale and you don't care about spoilers and you're here just listening to me talk about it, once you're done the episode, you can honestly shut it off unless you really want to see the musical because there's really, you can watch that and you're not going to miss, or sorry, you can skip that and there's nothing that you'll, nothing significant that you're going to miss from that post credit scene. Um, but I mean, you know, in conclusion on Hawkeye, I thought the show... Overall, I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was serviceable. 
you know, in, in the sandbox of Marvel Disney Plus shows. Uh, I probably, overall, I'd probably give it like a 6.5 out of 10. You know, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Not great, but not bad. Just sort of, you know, in that middle, that sort of gray area. Uh, but compared to the other shows, I would probably say this is my least favorite. And in a way, that's almost a compliment to Marvel because, like I just mentioned, I overall thought the show was good. Yet I still have it as my least favorite out of all the other shows. So that just shows that there has been a consistent uh, detail to the quality of these shows. Um, and the next show that I'm really fucking excited for is Moon Knight. We got a short little tease of uh, Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight very briefly at some Disney presentation a couple months ago. And that was that was enough to you know to, to get me invested and to, to sell me on the idea of that show. So that is going to be the next show that I'm really excited for. I think that the next show in line, though, in the Disney Plus uh, lineup of, of Marvel shows, I think is the, uh, it's, I'm forgetting her name. Let me look it up here. I know it's the character that's going to be co-starring in the next Captain Marvel film, uh, Disney Disney Plus Marvel shows lineup. Miss Marvel. Yeah, that's going to be coming out next year. So next year we got, let's look here at the upcoming Marvel TV shows. So... Like I said, yeah, we got Miss Marvel, then we got Moon Knight, and then we have She-Hulk, which I'm really excited for. In fact, I think She-Hulk is the next, is going to be the next time that we see uh, Daredevil because of the, you know, the whole, the whole lawyer thing, because uh, for those of you who don't know, She-Hulk is a lawyer and I feel like That'll just be an easy opportunity for them to reintroduce, uh, well, not reintroduce, but uh, bring back uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil. And then it says we have an untitled Halloween special, probably just going to be some little short thing. Um, and it also says we have a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special coming in uh, the next December. And yeah, and then it says Loki season two, to be a. Uh, TBA rather to be announced and that comes from cinema blend by Jason wise wheeze hopefully I pronounced that correctly So yeah, um next year is gonna be a big year For for comic book movies and movies period, but I think what do, what do we got? So we got for films we got dr. Strange we got um, Thor and then I think Black Panther as well. Uh, so we got, yeah, let me double check on that. I think that's actually coming out in uh, in 2023, which is also going to be a big year. Black Panther 2. Let me see here. I think it's called Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. Let me see IMDb. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> It says in production expected to be released November 11th. So at the end of the year is when we're going to be seeing that. 
and that's going to be coming out in 2022 next year. I'm really excited for that. I'm really curious to see how they're going to handle that situation because with that situation, I immediately was was in the camp of like I thought they should just recast T'Challa and, and bring in a new actor to play Black Panther. But then as I sort of sat back and thought about it, I actually think it'd be very it'd be very interesting to see what direction they could go if they don't cast him and how they could honor Chadwick Boseman's legacy in the film. And I and the one thing that I'll always give Marvel credit for is their ability to make the narrative make sense with situations like this. Not that we've ever had an actor in the MCU pass away, but I'm confident in Kevin Feige and the writers and the very smart people they have behind these projects. I think they'll find a very unique and clever way to make everything make sense. If that, if if that, that makes any sense. Um, But yeah. And then Thor, nobody's really talking about Thor. I'm really excited. I think that film is going to be number one. I think it's going to be hilarious, especially with the, you know, with, with Taika, Taika Watiti. I definitely butchered, definitely butchered that pronunciation. Um, when is that coming out? I know it's coming out next year. If we go back to IMDb here, it says July 8th, 2022. That'll be a great time of year to release that film. Um, but my most anticipated film of next year probably would be the Batman still. I, I said this on my last show when I was talking about Spider-Man. Um, Spider-Man was great. Yeah, I still feel it's the best Spider-Man film of all time. And we're going to talk about Spider-Man uh, towards the end of this episode. But I was always a little more excited for the Batman. And, and I still am to this day. I think what Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson are going to put together in that film is going to be unlike anything we've seen in that, you know, with, with that character. And I am counting down the days at, the, at this point. I am absolutely excited. And it can't come any sooner. And I think that's going to be coming out in March, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, I keep looking up things here. Just don't want to be incorrect. The Batman. I think it comes out in October, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me see, Screen Rants. Oh, March. Even sooner than I thought. Look at that. I've heard like five different dates for this film because it's been delayed and, you know, pushed back so many different times. Yeah, this cast, Zoe Kravitz, Andy Serkis, Jeffrey Wright, Paul Dano, Colin Farrell, and then obviously probably my favorite actor in Hollywood right now, Robert Pattinson. And then we have Matt Reeves, who I think is a fantastic director. Yeah, we got a lot of big films coming out this uh, this upcoming year. And I don't want to talk too much about the next year films because that's an idea I have for another episode. Um, but anyways, that's going to wrap up my thoughts. Overall, Hawkeye was good. Not the best. Probably my least favorite out of all the other shows. But overall, still pretty good at the same time. So next, we're going to talk about my top five Christmas films to watch. And uh, we're going to go... We're going to start from number five and we're going to go to number one. Uh, number five, I got How... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. That I just teased the... That's my number one, actually. Shit. Okay, so number five, I got The Night Before Christmas. Um, 
that's it, it's a comedy with Anthony Mackie, uh, Seth Rogen, and um, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, so it's pretty much like these guys. They they've had this tradition, their whole friendship of like the night before Christmas Christmas Eve. They go out and they just they party, they have fun, they uh, you know they get shit faced, whatever. So that's a great film. Then at number four, I got uh, I got Christmas with the Cranks. But now that I'm looking at my list here, I might have to make a minor tweak. Hmm. I think I'm going to take out Christmas of the Cranks, put it in my honorable mentions, and swap that out with Elf, with Will Ferrell. I think I'm going to put that at number four. And, uh, I, you know, I don't really got to talk about Elf. You, you guys have probably seen it. It's an absolute classic. One of, one of my first introductions to Will Ferrell, uh, you know, as an actor. And I became, you know, I became obsessed. I watched pretty much every movie he did after that. I think that's really the main one, though, that kind of kickstarted his career, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I was actually listening to Adam McKay, who's been the director of a lot of the films that Will Ferrell has been in. He, I think he was saying that, you know, people knew who Will Ferrell was, but Elf really kind of elevated him, elevated his name uh, during that time. And let me see here. Okay, so third, I got the the old puppeteer claymation, whatever you want to call it, version of the old Rudolph and the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the classic one with Yukon Cornelius and uh, and uh, Jack Frost, or not Jack Frost, whatever the, the snowman guy that sings the song, Silver and Gold. <laughs> um, and then number two, I got the Polar Express, Love that film. Uh, that's usually one of the first that I watch when it when when I approach uh, December and we're getting into that holiday season. And then at number one, I got How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. That is by far not even close my number one favorite uh, Christmas film to watch. I love Jim Carrey. I love this portrayal. The ability, kind of like how I spoke about Willem Dafoe last episode and his Willem Dafoe's ability to change his face and his, you know, his expressions. Jim Carrey has that same characteristic. The things he could do with his like facial structure and the the way he can make himself look like a completely different person is incredible. Now, obviously, like he's wearing, you know, makeup and stuff and, and you know, obviously when he's playing uh, the Grinch, but he does this like, this like smile and this like grin. That's just, I, I love it. So the movie Spider-Man No Way Home, it's been out for, you know, a little over a week now. So if you haven't seen it at this point, you're probably not that interested. Um, I'm not going to say that's the case for everybody. I know some people at certain parts of the world, movie theaters are shutting down, but I think for the majority of people, uh, who haven't seen it, they probably just aren't very interested. So now we are going to be talking all about Spider-Man No Way Home and all the spoilers and everything involved with the film. Last episode, I spent the entire, uh, basically the entire episode just covering my thoughts, uh, my non-spoiler thoughts and how I felt overall. Um, but yeah, let's just, uh, let's, let's get right into the Spider-Man stuff. So like I mentioned before, haven't watched Daredevil, but that cameo scene with Matt Murdock when he showed up to Peter and uh, to Aunt May's apartment and basically just told him like, "Look, the charges got dropped, but you're not out of the woods yet." So love that cameo scene. Um, I got now. Let's just 
we're pretty much just going to talk about the the main the main thing, the main surprise. You know, basically, you know, I heard uh, someone call it the 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 best, the worst kept secret in Hollywood. I heard some other content creator call it that, and he couldn't have put it any better. I think it was uh, that guy named Chris from Three C Films. I think is the the I think is the name of his 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 channel. But uh, yeah, he basically said like this, this was the worst kept secret on Hollywood and it truly was, but that is what we're going to talk about. Cause that's really like the meat and potatoes of, you know, this film. Um, I was so, I was so fucking hyped when, uh, when Toby and Andrew showed up, um, we all knew it was coming, but when they did, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, I've heard some people say they kind of had a problem with how they were introduced with, you know, Ned sort of just all of a sudden, you know, casting spells and, and, and opening portals like Doctor Strange. I personally thought it was kind of, you know, funny and clever. Uh, and when Andrew showed up, I was I was so hyped because I never really appreciated the Andrew films. But after watching Spider-Man No Way Home, like, I can kind of look back on those films with a different point of view. And I'm actually, like, really interested to see if they would actually revisit his his films and give him that third movie to complete his trilogy. And I'm actually hearing reports that that is on the table um, because obviously people are reacting very positively to Spider-Man No Way Home. So if enough people are showing the demand for him to return, then they're going to do it because it's a license to print money at that point. Uh, and I mean, t- Toby's Toby. I mean, when Toby came back, that was probably like my favorite moment uh, because Toby for me, his Spider-Man is probably overall my favorite just for pure nostalgia. Um, from a pure comic book representation of the character, like the, the best overall, most accurate to the source material, I would pick Tom Holland. But my favorite overall Spider-Man is probably Tobey Maguire because I grew up watching his films. I'll never forget when Spider-Man 3 came out. Uh, I, I knew I was going to go see it. It was the end of school. I think I was in like grade like grade four, I was like nine years old or something. And I was just waiting for my mom to pick me up from school. And we went right to the theater, got my goodies, got my snacks and shit. And I watched uh, Toby go up against Topher, Topher Grayson has Venom, uh, who was actually referenced in this film. I love that scene. Overall, I love like the the banter between them and, and, and the, the, the discussion that they have. And, you know, Tom asks uh, Toby and Andrew, he's like, you know, what's what's the craziest villain you guys have gone up against? And I fucking love when Toby actually referenced Rhino, which I never I never would have thought that would have happened. He, he's like, you know, I fought this Russian dude in this big, you know, metal rhinoceros suit. That was absolutely uh, incredible. If I had to pick three favorite moments between the three characters of all three Spider-Man, I would say third place would probably be um, the back crack scene that was fucking hilarious. That was so funny because it reference, uh, it reference uh, the point of the film in the original Spider-Man when Toby was like my back because apparently he was actually like experiencing back problems, you know, on the set of the film doing some stunts. So that was hilarious. That was like a nice little callback. But also, I love when when Andrew's like, "Yo, do you want me to get that for you?" Yeah, I got you. Come here. And then he's like, "Oh." All right, you got me. I got it. That was that was so fucking funny. Uh, so that was third. That would be my third uh, favorite uh, moment in the film between those three. And then the second, I would probably say, 
Honestly, number two and number one are probably interchangeable. I love the scene when they're interacting in the lab. Um, and they are... Uh... Oh, let me actually think about this list. Yeah, okay. So anyways, so I love when they're interacting in the lab and they're creating the serums to cure uh, to uh, to cure the villains, to make them, you know, not evil anymore, I guess. And... Uh, and I love when they're talking about the web shooters. That was absolutely fucking hilarious. When, when Toby's uh, Peter Parker shoots shoots his web out, and then they're like, "That came out of you, dude!" And he's like, "You can do that, can you?" Like that was that was so funny because obviously Toby and Andrew like they have web shooters, right? They have they've they've built this mechanic with their suit. It doesn't just come out of them. And then they they reference uh, Andrew asks Toby, "Is like, have you ever had a web blockage?" a blockage and um and Andrew's like yeah I sort of had you know I had this sort of existential crisis and that that happened when uh in Spider-Man 2 I think when or Spider-Man 1 when Toby was swinging through the air and then all of a sudden you know he couldn't shoot his web and he was just sort of gliding in the air uh, I think that was a reference to that which is great and then my number one I'm going to sort of break the rules a little bit I got a tiebreaker here at number one. I'm going to pick two moments for the that I equally loved, and the moment when Andrew and Toby first meet Tom Holland. That scene was incredibly emotional because obviously Peter had just suffered the death of Aunt May, and he doesn't understand that these two other Spider-Man have gone through similar tragedy in their respective universe. And at first, he's like, "You guys can't, couldn't possibly wrap your head around what I'm going through," and then. Toby's like, when my uncle Ben died, and then uh, when Andrew's like, well, when 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 Gwen, who's who's my MJ, that was incredible. Um, and speaking of like MJ and Gwen, uh, if anybody, most people have probably seen Amazing Spider-Man two. Obviously, Gwen dies in that film, and Toby gets his chance of redemption. Uh, MJ falls off the uh, falls off the Empire State Building, and Tom Tom goes to catch her. And then Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin sort of cuts him off midair. And then Andrew saw that as a, as a chance uh, to jump off the building and save MJ like he wanted to with Gwen. And that was incredible. I love when they land to the ground. And you could see he's like holding back tears because this is exactly like the moment of when Gwen unfortunately died. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to save her. And the fact that he got to do it, he got that second chance to do it with, uh, with MJ. And that, that was just a great moment for me. Um, and then what was, yeah, so that, and then obviously tied for number one would also be the scene when they, when they all start swinging together, that was just pure, just fan service. I absolutely love that. That was probably my favorite scene of the whole fucking movie. Um, now speaking of that though, that was, it was all great. The only problem I had with with those scenes was, and I, and I heard, uh, I heard Chris from, I mentioned earlier, three C films talk about this, the CG in that scene for Tobey Maguire, he, like for his suit was a little off a minor nitpick, albeit, but I don't know. The CG was kind of off the close up shots. They like, it, it definitely looked like the suit, but the shots when he's swinging around, like when he's first fighting Sandman to, to, to take him out first, that uh, for me, I could kind of notice a little bit. It looked it looked a tad bit off because with the Toby suit, the webbing on like the suit looks like really like thick. If that makes any sense, like you know, almost like as a kid, you know, you you read those uh, you read those comic books and sort of the texts 
is very uh, the text is like raised. If that makes any, uh, I feel like I'm explaining this wrong, but in this, it almost just looked like two CG at times, not all the time, but at times. Uh, Andrew's suit looked it, it looked absolutely incredible. It looked the exact same as as, as it did in the Amazing Spider-Man films. I feel like that's that's something I say so much when I talk about this film is absolutely incredible. I feel like I'm just repeating myself at this point. Um, but it truly was. It was it was an event. Um, and I, like I, like I mentioned, we all knew they were going to be in this film. If they weren't, it would have been like the biggest missed opportunity in, in Hollywood. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to bring back the villains from their films, but you're not going to bring back the, the main protagonists. Like if it was flipped, like if we had Toby and Andrew from the get go, from the beginning of the movie and we didn't have the villains they could get away with that. Like we would talk about it as fans. We would say, oh, like that would be so cool if like, like we have Andrew, we have Toby, but how cool would it be if we had like Doc Ock come back and Lizard and, you know, Green Goblin, like that would be cool. But I mean, hey, at least we have the other Spider-Man. That would be okay. But in the case of this, you're going to bring back the villains, but not bring back the original Spider-Man. Like for me, that would have been the, the you know, the biggest missed opportunity. Um, can you imagine if they did something like, like we're getting in the point of the film where we realize, oh, we're about to get, we're about to be introduced to the other Spider-Man and then the Spider-Man that come on screen. What if it was just alternate versions of Tom Holland as Spider-Man, like different haircut, different hair color, different suit, but just different versions of Tom Holland Spider-Man? Can you imagine how big of a disappointment that would be? That would be, that would be similar to the Ralph Boner uh, character from WandaVision, but it would have been 10 times worse than that. Like with that one, I didn't really care with WandaVision because I didn't really expect him to, to sort of be the, the, uh, the main, uh, Quicksilver, but yeah, that would have been, that would have been funny, but that also would have been heartbreaking at the same time. Overall, just, um, just so many great, great moments between everybody in this film. Uh, you know, everybody being, uh, well, I mean, really, I'm just referring to Toby and Andrew. They had so many just funny and just emotional moments, uh, like I mentioned with the whole Uncle Ben thing. And once Peter, I love the moment when Peter said, like, with great power comes, and then Toby finishes his line, he's like, comes great responsibility. Uh, Tom Holland's like, how do, you, how do you know that? And then, you know, they all went through that, their own similar experience in their universe. I thought that was great. Pretty much every time I saw Toby on screen, I just had like the biggest grin on my face. Like I, I just felt like a little kid in a candy store at that point because I was just being reminded of all the fun experiences I had watching his films as a kid. I think I even had the Spider-Man 3 like book or whatever. So, I mean, say what you will about Spider-Man 3. It's not a great film, but it's it definitely has its moments and it, it holds a special place in my heart it's like a guilty pleasure of mine i guess i could say um and you know i loved i loved how they like i mentioned i loved how they talked about their villains they talked about their their fight scenes and toby's reaction to tom holland saying like i fought like a like a purple guy in space that was hilarious he was like i i still can't wrap my head around the fact that you went to space like that that was just that was hilarious and then um and then you know andrew sort of feels like he's like the you know the least cool one the least the one who isn't as cool you know 
compared to the other Spider-Man being Tom and Andrew. Uh, I mean, I mean Tom and and and, uh, and Toby. And then Toby kind of goes over to Andrew and sort of like you're it reminds him like you know stop stop with this you know stop with this talk. You're you're amazing. You're great. And I loved how Toby almost kind of had like that mentor role in this film because I mean he is the oldest. He's the most experienced one out of out of the three of them. He's he's the first one, the first live action Spider-Man, and. You know, speaking of a mentor role, um, we did see, you know, we did have a reference to, you know, Miles Morales. Uh, Jimmy Fox said to said to Andrews, Peter Parker, he said, hey, man, like, you know, why isn't there a black Spider-Man? Like, we, there's got to be one out there. And, you know, I'm sure at some point we're going to get Miles Morales. It's only a matter of time. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see when we're going to get that. I really do hope sooner than later because I think he's a great character. Um, and whenever they decide, whenever Marvel decides to introduce Miles Morales, I really hope they use that as an opportunity to bring Toby back. And then Toby can sort of be that mentor to Miles, because I know that there's like a, there's like a seven to eight year age gap between Peter Parker and Miles Morales. So I know like that would obviously, like Toby would obviously exceed that unless they decide to bring Miles in as like a, like a 30 year old, but I, I doubt that. Um, they're going to want to bring someone in that's young and that can play the character for a long period of time. So I really hope whenever they decide to bring Miles Morales, whether it's his own movie or in another film, I really hope that they bring back Andrew to sort of be like a, like a, like a guide for him. Um, and then, yeah, this, this, uh, this film was full of Easter eggs. Um, when the multiverse is starting to like open and tear apart towards the end of the film and the climax when Dr. Strange is like, I can't stop them. They're coming through or whatever the fuck he says. You see in the sky, if you look very, very closely, you could see the silhouette of different uh, Spider-Man villains. Like you see Rhino and uh, I think you see Craven the Hunter, if I'm not mistaken, which uh, speaking of Craven the Hunter recently, uh, there was a casting news when it comes to Craven and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson was cast to play Craven the Hunter, which I think is a very interesting casting. I think he's a great actor. Uh, I loved him in Tenet. He had a, he was a he was kind of like a surprise in that film. First of all, I didn't even know he was in Tenet, and then when I saw him, I was like, "Damn!" Like he did a really good fucking job. Uh, I loved I loved him in uh, I loved him in The Savages. That's probably my favorite uh, performance of his. Obviously, Kick Ass, and then he was in Godzilla, which was uh, pretty good as well. And then um, and yeah, uh, you know what else can I talk about here? I got a bunch of notes. Um, oh yeah, my favorite fight scene. Now, there, there's a couple, uh, you know, obviously during the movie, we see that Peter, he's trying to do the right thing. Now it is definitely, it was a mistake for him to just bring the villains over to hang out in, in Happy's apartment, but he's trying to do the right thing. And then that is sort of when shit goes, goes to hell when he gets his little spider sense and he realizes like, oh, you know, uh, Green Goblin's up to no good. Willem Dafoe's up, he's, you know, he's back to his, uh, his evil side. And that is sort of where we're going to transition. There was two big fight scenes between uh, between Peter Parker and Green Goblin. But my favorite was the end of the film. Because at that point, obviously, uh, Willem Dafoe's character, Green Goblin, he, he killed Aunt May. And, and this is what I was referring to in episode uh, 14 last week when I said Peter was fighting with a lot of rage in this film. Uh, and, and that's the reason why. Because... You know, he, he's, he's not pulling his punches because he's pissed off because his fucking guardian, you know, his, 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 basically his mom, Aunt May, she was killed by Green Goblin. And 
that last fight scene, you could tell Tom brings all the energy, all the emotion, the anger, and he he's about to... This is probably one of my favorite parts of the film, what I'm about to talk about. Right when Tom has Willem Dafoe on the ground, and he's he's about to, you know, give him that last punch, he picks up the glider, and he's, a, he's about to kill Green Goblin, and then, of course... Who, you know, who better to stop him than Tobey Maguire? Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. When he stepped in and he gave him that look like, I've been through this, Peter. I know that you think that killing the man that killed your aunt is going to make you feel better. But in reality, you're still, you're still always going to grieve. You're still going to miss him. It's not going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change is that you killed somebody. Right, why stoop down to that level, essentially? And that scene was was amazing. It was so fucking awesome. And then I and then Green Goblin stabbed Toby Maguire, and I was like, no, is this really how they're gonna like end that character? And then he kind of gets up and he says, you know, I'm fine. Like, you know, this isn't this ain't my first rodeo. I've been stabbed before, right? Uh that was that was kind of funny, but overall, I mean yeah, I'm sure I'm probably gonna end this podcast and then and then think of some things that I that I, that I missed to talk about. Um, actually, here let's quickly talk about the ending. Yeah, we gotta definitely talk about that. We're gonna talk about the ending and the post credit scene, and then that's probably gonna be it. I do want to apologize. Overall, this episode is gonna kind of be on the shorter side compared to others. This is just a crazy, crazy week for me. You know, the holidays is a crazy time of year for a lot of people. I got like three different families. Um, you know going to like, I well, not families, but like three different parts of my families. You know, I have my girlfriend's side of the family. Then I got, you know, my aunts, my, my extended family. And then obviously I got my family that I spend most of my time with here. Um, yeah. So the, the ending, uh, I love the ending because we see Peter Parker, Tom Holland's Peter Parker. We see him going and finally living on his own and almost like very reminiscent to Tobey Maguire. He's living in this like shitty little apartment and he's really on his own. And I feel like, you know, I heard somebody say that this trilogy was almost like his origin story. And to a degree, I kind of agree with that because we've seen him progress from being very dependent on Tony Stark to now being his own his own man. And he truly is Spider-Man at the end of this film. And one of the best moments is in the ending, we see that he's actually creating his own suit. No more, you know, Stark Tech, uh, you know, AI system or whatever. He's got his own suit. And I think it looks beautiful. That You know, the blue is very shiny, very reflective. And I think it looks probably the most comic book accurate suit that we've seen thus far. And, uh, and I know I've heard, you know, I've heard some people, you know, worried if Tom Holland's going to return. Because he's been saying things like, I want to start a family. Which is all fine. I respect that. But make no mistake, he will be back. I'm, you know, I can, I can almost guarantee. I don't know for sure. Obviously, it's not like I just, you know, called Tom Holland before the podcast. I, I don't know that to be certain. But I mean, by the ending, uh, you know, by the ending of the film, it's almost, you know, it's almost guaranteed. And we've heard, you know, Kevin Feige and, and Amy Pascal, you know, say that we've already, you know, come to terms for another trilogy and another set of films with Tom Holland. So we're going to see him back. It's only a matter of time. It's probably going to be a good couple of years before we see another Spider-Man film because with this trilogy, there's been a film like every other year. So in like five years, we got three films. So I don't think we're probably going to see that fourth Spider-Man film 
Probably not for like another two, three years, I, w- I would say. Probably not till like 2025, to be quite frank. Uh, actually, that that's a little far. Probably like 2024 or 2023, one of those two. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at my notes. Oh yeah, I also missed uh, one of my favorite uh, shots of the film. One of my favorite just like pictures uh, uh, during the film is when it was right after when Tom Holland... Uh, had that first fight with the Green Goblin and Aunt May died and then he's up on that building, you know, crying, obviously very emotional and he's just looking up at J. Jonah Jameson uh, just talking shit and it's it's raining. That was just a beautiful shot. Just had to quickly get that out of the way. Um, now, you know, the big question that people are asking is, is, is Tom Holland's Spider-Man going to remain in the or sorry going yeah is he going to remain in the mcu or is he going to transition to uh the sony verse and i think i think the answer is a bit of both and i think the next film that we're going to see him do will be a sony film but i think they did the ending of this film in a way that's very smart that they're going to reference Spider-Man. They're obviously going to. Doctor Strange is going to reference Spider-Man, I'm sure, in, in the Multiverse of Madness. So they're not going to ignore any of the events that took place between him and the MCU. They can't, right? From a narrative perspective, like what are they going to do? Retcon everything? But now that they know, or now that they don't know who Spider-Man is, which is Peter Parker, because obviously all the Avengers knew who he is, that is going to give Sony the opportunity to sort of, you know take him for the next couple films. And then I think down the road when Spider-Man and Tom Holland does want to return and, and it does make sense from a narrative perspective, I feel like we'll see him back at some point. Um, and yeah, see, I'm, I'm already thinking of more things to talk about. Like the, the ending when, you know, when we see Spider-Man or sorry, when we see Peter Parker and he goes to that little bake shop where he knows that MJ and, uh, you know, and, and Ned are going to be. And then he, he was going to go in there and he had the note, he already had everything scripted and ready. He was going to tell them like, hey, I'm Peter Parker, you know, this is who I am. You know, Doctor Strange had to wipe away everybody's memory, but, you know, you were you were my girlfriend, MJ, and, you know, Ned, you were my best friend. But he decided in that moment, maybe now isn't the time. When the time comes, then I will tell them who I am. A lot of people just, I've heard some people say that he's just never going to, uh, approach them again and he's basically just going to let them be because out of fear of endangering their lives and to a degree there's some truth to that but I do think at some point we will see Tom Holland's character as Peter Parker reintroduce himself to MJ and Ned I just don't think I think he realized that it was a little too soon and he's going to give them time to you know get settled go to MIT which is referenced a lot in the film and then I think when he feels that the time is right then he's going to return and reintroduce himself and It'll just leave room for that to be reapproached in the sequels and stuff. Um, and yeah, so I think I got everything. I think I touched upon everything. Uh, that's probably going to wrap up episode. Um, oh no, sorry. The post credit scenes. Let's get to that. Um, I mean, it's out now. You can watch it. The Doctor Strange teaser trailer. It looks absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to see. Um, ever since WandaVision ended and we, we heard uh, from all the outlets like Variety and Deadline that uh that uh olsen what's her name emma olsen no what's her name um 
the main character from WandaVision, Wanda, once we heard that she was going to be co-starring Benedict Cumberbatch in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, I was immediately excited because I loved WandaVision and I was really excited to see what she would do with Doctor Strange. This is going to bother me here. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Emma, o Emma Olsen, what the fuck was I saying? Um, yeah, so once Eliz Elizabeth Olsen was cast... Um, and Doctor Strange, I was incredibly excited. I was already excited, um, but yeah, and the movie just looks like it's going to be absolutely just nuts, and I cannot fucking wait. And then we got the Venom post credit scene, which was kind of bittersweet because, you know, telling by the last post credit scene from, from Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I mean, I was under the impression, at least, that he was going to be in the MCU for a pretty significant amount of time, and then... Now he's back in the Sony-verse, and then it's kind of just like you were literally in the MCU for five minutes. He references the Avengers. He talks about, you know, there's a guy that flies, and he's rich, and blah, blah, blah. Like, he references Tony Stark and stuff like that, and then he's back in the MCU. So, I do think we will see him return in the MCU at some point, kind of like with Tom Holland, as I mentioned. But I thought it was kind of funny, but also bittersweet. Um, and then, you know, the, and then he, I mean, he will return to the MCU because the black goo from the symbiote was left behind sort of leaving that, uh, you know, that door to potentially be open in the future. So I think that, that is going to wrap it up. Like I said, I know I'm going to end this podcast and I'm immediately going to think of things that I should have talked about, but I think I got most, you know, most of my thoughts off the table here. Um, all right. So yeah, I think that is going to wrap up episode 15 here of Unbashful. And, uh, I think by, I mean, by the time next episode comes out, it'll be the new year. And I think the next episode is going to be me discussing my favorite films of 2021. So look out for that. It's going to be a great long episode and, uh, I'm excited and I will see you guys on episode 16. Have a great day, everyone.